Hey, what's up, everybody? Joe Y. Rostick here of Metro Praise International. Going to do a live feed today on problems in the pulpit. Share if you care, and we'll discuss the issues facing pastors today. And if you can get people on that disagree with me, if they are either an ordained pastor or a leader in counseling and they disagree, I'll do my best to get them on. I'm going to check right now to make sure my sound's coming through. All right, it's coming through good. How's everybody doing today? Hi, Virginia. Please feel free to send me some chats to let me know that the sound is coming through on your end. We're going to get started here in about two minutes. One of the books that I'll be discussing today is one that I wrote. By God's grace, I've written over 20 books and um, going through my doctorate right now so that I can write more books. This book right here is called Discipleship-Based Churches. Like all of my books, they are free online at our church website mpichurch.org, standing for metropraiseinternational.org. And then if you go to the blog section, you can see there underneath the blog section, read books online, and you can read this for free in PDF. This is one of the books that we give out to the mission field. This book has been in many different countries, and I'll be discussing from this book setbacks that we face in ministry. We are facing an epidemic right now in the ministry from whether, whether or not it's pastors taking their own lives, to sexual immorality, to abusing of the finances, this ought not to be, and we ought to have answers. So we're going to talk about it today. Some of you know that I've been, uh, as of recently, in some controversy about my thoughts about suicide. That's not going to be so much what we're discussing today, but it may come up a little bit. But to me, suicide is just one of the many issues that are facing pastors today. And if I were to tell you how many pastors that I know uh, that I can get uh, on the phone right now or Facebook, it's probably somewhere between 50, 75, maybe even upwards of 100. I love pastors. I have been a pastor for over 20 years. Now, I want you to understand, I have never missed a Sunday since being saved in 95, but I'm just going to say since being a pastor 20 years, 20 times 52 weeks in a year, I have served God's people on Sunday over 1,040 times. By God's grace, this is a gift that God has given me, and I enjoy giving it to the church. I feel like so often we are uh, hearing all this stuff about ministry and how hard it is to be a pastor. And yes, it comes with challenges. Paul talked about that. But being a pastor, serving God's people should be the greatest joy of our lives. So that's what we're going to be talking about here. Uh, Dennis, thank you for letting me know that I'm coming through good. Shalita, what's going on? Uh, Richard, what's up? He just talked about our gospel truck. Let me show you some pictures. Let me show you guys what's going on right now. We are a church that's a soul-winning church. We go out and preach the gospel. As you can see there on the cover of my Facebook page, I'm showing that uh, I'm preaching there at Humble Park, which is the, the during the time of the Puerto Rican festival. They call it Boricua Fest. That's one of the greatest joys of my life. Been doing it for many, many years, over a decade. And uh, now we got a truck to match uh, the kind of outreaches that we want to do in the city. And I just want to let you know that we are honored we are honored as a church to go out and represent the name of Jesus and to represent the rest of the churches that may not have the resources to do it. Uh, we're going to represent you, but you're welcome to come with us. The second Saturday of every month, meet us at 2 p.m. You can come out with us. And you know what? We want to serve the community together. But this gospel truck was uh, given to me as an idea back when I was in Bible college, and these were more popular about 20 years ago, Bill Wilson sidewalk Sunday schools out of New York, if you've ever heard of them. Uh, they would make these trucks to go out into the projects of New York. When I was in Bible college in New Orleans, they had these kind of trucks where the side would go down. And you know what? I always wanted one of these for our city here in Chicago because we have so many parks. We have so many opportunities to go and preach the gospel. So this is made to even go right up along the street drop it right on the sidewalk area and the grassy area and to have people come around us. We will have uh, uh, these little stands that go underneath this stage and then we can preach the gospel here all day, every day. One of the things that we want to do when we go out is always give away free things. So everybody's going to get a ticket to get a free thing, whether it's just a candy bar or something like that. 
And then we're going to do drawings with those tickets for gift cards to Walmart because we know a lot of people are struggling right now and they need help financially. And then, of course, this is going to come alongside of what we're doing in the church with picking up people in our vans. Uh, thank you for bringing that up, uh, my brother. Appreciate you. Pastor Terry, what's going on? Love you, man of God. I've been trying to get Pastor Troy on. I'm actually uh, waiting to see if he'll get back to me. I talked to him two nights ago. And we may be starting a podcast together, Pastor Troy, so please pray for that. Uh, Raven Team and Metro Praise International, <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, good to see you here, Benjamin. We got one we are restoring. It's super useful. Amen. These trucks are a blessing. Well, you know, I got into this controversy about suicide, and it brought up a lot of different issues. Well, first, people want to talk about the mental health side of suicide. And so that was my first video done this week. If you haven't seen it, go back and look at it. I went kind of mad scientist on it, showed a lot of research that we as Christians should understand when we're talking about mental illness. I'm not a mental illness conspiracy person, and I don't believe it's always demonic, just like it's not demonic that I have to wear glasses. But here's the thing, the devil can take advantage of that and spread his lies through that. But no matter what, mental illness does not equal suicide. Mental illness, if we're talking about things in the brain, brain damage, um, traumatic brain injury, etc., what that is never equals suicide. Uh, brain damage is an actual thing. Suicide is an act of the will. Uh, this can be treated with medicine. You can never change a person's will. Uh, even as, uh, you know, you talk, talk to a teenager and say, go clean your room. And they say, I don't want to go clean my room. And you say, go clean your room. And, and, and if you don't do it, I'm going to take away your privileges. You can't drive the car. And then you see them cleaning their room. They're all upset. And they say, I might be cleaning my room with my body, but in my mind, I'm not cleaning it. You know, because you can never, you can never treat the will, a spiritual solical issue with physical things. Now, when your body is physically healthy, it's helpful. And when your body is physically sick, it makes it harder. But that's why the Bible said crucify your flesh. So we talked about that in the first video. Uh, the second video, I really saw the issue keep coming up that people didn't even think suicide was a sin, which was shocking to me that people didn't see it as a sin. So we show clearly that when the Bible says thou shalt not murder, that includes taking your own life. That when the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man but leads to death, that talks about suicide. When the Bible says wisdom gives life and increases your days, but the mocker suffers alone, that's talking about things like suicide. And that raised up a lot of issues, so I had to explain that. And the Bible says the cowardly, the unbelieving will have their place in the lake of fire. The murderers, no doubt about where murderers go, and the historic church has agreed on that. And then I also wanted to talk about the one saved always thing. And I broke down the passage. One of my favorites is Romans chapter 11, went through it talking about we come in by faith and how we leave salvation is by unbelief, not just by doing bad works. Bad works can corrupt the heart to lead to unbelief, but we didn't come in by good works. We don't leave by bad works. The Christian can be forgiven as long as they're in belief and faith. And so just like faith was a choice, uh, just like you choose to receive faith, Ephesians 2.8, you receive grace. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God in Romans chapter 10. You can reject faith. You can reject the word. In other words, God is not a divine kidnapper. Once he gets you in, he locks the door, takes off in the van and says, you're coming with me, kid. You can come out of faith if you want. And I broke that down. And as you notice on the comments, nobody has tried to refute my interpretation of Romans chapter 11. And then I showed that that is the same of John chapter 15, where it says we're engrafted in the vine. We're engrafted in. That totally means we're saved. But if we don't remain in him, and in the remaining is that faith, continuing in our faith, if we don't, then we get cut off and cast into the fire. Now, how can you get cut out of something you weren't once already in? It makes no sense to see it otherwise. And then I went through the book of Hebrews and the warnings that are there. I have papers on all of this, sermons on all of this. And then I thought maybe to finish the trilogy, Let's talk about pastors now, because that was originally what I was talking about, is that this pastor committed suicide. So now if you put all three of these videos together, here it is. Suicide is bad. Can't blame it on mental health. It's an issue of the will. Suicide is not just bad in the moral sense. It's sin against God and it is damnable. And guess what? People can lose their salvation by coming out of faith. Not just one bad act, but coming out of faith. And suicide is a compounded sin showing unbelief, lack of trust towards God. It's a high treacherous act against God. And then now let's talk about what's going on in the pulpit. If you have any questions, start putting them up as I'm looking here. Good to see Candace. 
God bless you. I'm going to go now from this book that I wrote, Discipleship-Based Churches, which is free online or 99 cents at Kindle, or if your church wants some, when we pay the hardback price, we just ask you to cover it and, give, and then give a little bit to the publishing so we can keep doing uh, missions work. I have not come up with these stats. These stats have been around for a long time. These stats have been known, this is in chapter nine of the book, Overcoming Setbacks, have been known from uh, John Maxwell and Fuller Institute. I have the, the resources and um, I have the links there in, in, in the book. You can go back and check. But here are things that we know are, is going on right now in the ministry. Number one, an average of 1,500 ministers drop out of the ministry a month in the U.S. This is devastating. Longevity, only 10% of ministers will make it to the age of 65, which means 90% of ministers will quit before they reach retirement, age 65. Think about that. Nine out of 10 pastors quit before they even make it into retirement. 50% of ministers don't even make it five years into ministry. Now, we're not judging people. We're trying to encourage people. God bless you, Lisette. Thanks for checking in today. Am I against ministers? Absolutely not. I love ministers. I am a minister. I have the pictures of ministers on my wall right here. And that's not even all of them. That's about half of them now. I need to update those pictures. I love ministers. I, I want to get a full picture of this so everybody can see it. I love ministers. I am a pastor. I work with pastors. When I was a professor, I was teaching pastors or soon to be pastors. Does everybody get it that I love pastors? I want you to chat and tell me you get it. Pastor loves pastors. Come on, can somebody just chat to me and let me know that you're hearing what I'm saying, that I love pastors. There is nothing that I am doing to put pastors down. I want pastors to be lifted up. I want them to be all that God called them to be, okay? So if you could just chat that and let me know that you hear me, that would be awesome because I love pastors. And the truth is about 70%, seven out of 10 deal with depression. Now we've talked about this in that suicide time when I went through some of the books and the greatest right now, the greatest Christian counselors are telling us happiness, is a choice. Happiness is a choice. As a matter of fact, you can look it up by Dr. Meyer. He runs the Meyer Clinic, the largest Christian clinics for mental health in America. Dr. Meyer wrote the book, Happiness is a Choice. Now, let me just show you in that book, because I have it right here. Let me show you the things that he says as a trained professional about depression. Number one, I, I, well, let me go to this because some of you might not have been there uh, when I did the suicide thing. Number one, they are finding out that through research that to think of us just as a bag of chemicals that need chemicals to make us happy, they have found out that that is not working. They are finding out that serotonin is not the issue. This is from World Psychiatry, World Psychiatry, the official journal of the World Psychiatric Association, they are debunking their own theories, which is good because I'm not a conspiracist. If you could help somebody that was dealing with chemical issues in the brain, like hormones, my wife deals with thyroid, or uh, maybe you have things going on with low blood sugar, like we get that. That's, that's understandable. But the idea that we're going to pump you full of antidepressants and that equals solving the problem, that does not do it. Let me just show you right here. However, the serotonin hypothesis of depression has not been clearly substantiated. Indeed, dogged by unreliable clinical biochemical findings and the difficulties of relating changes, changes in serotonin activity to mood state, the serotonin hypothesis eventually reached conspiracy theory status. So it is wrong, it's actually a conspiracy to think that giving somebody more chemicals is going to reduce their depression. Now here's the book, Happiness is a Choice by Dr. Meyer. Okay, here it is, New Ways to Enhance Joy and Meaning in Life. Now we're talking about so many pastors dealing with this right here. 
Now look at this right here. I want you to get this. Most human depression is the result of our irresponsible behavior, our irresponsible handling of our anger and guilt. Does Joe say that? Is that Joe's opinion? No, this is the leading Christian expert who works with the science of the world and the biblical worldview. He is saying that most of it is from this. And then even then, it doesn't equal suicide. It simply means when you don't handle issues correctly, depression can set in. And what are the two reasons? He says most people are depressed. Anger and guilt. Anger and guilt. Now, does that mean that you can't have uh, physical issues cause depression like menopause or things like that? No. But how do you fight depression? How do you fight the feelings? You have to choose to renew your mind. That changes your brain. Renewing your mind, the soul changes your brain. That's what OCD expert Dr. Jeffrey Swartz said in his book, you are not your brain, the four-step solution for changing bad habits. So my friends, I believe what the Bible says because the Bible said it. That's true. I believe that. But I also believe that the Bible backs up good science. Good science always confirms the Bible. So why do I believe, here we go, why do I believe so many pastors are dealing with depression? They're dealing with depression, my friends, because they're not renewing their mind. What else can I say it is? If, if all the doctors are saying it's not just a chemical thing, that it actually can be combated with the soul against the brain, like you can use your spiritual soul to transform your brain. They call it neural elasticity, that the physical brain can be impacted by what you choose to think on. If that's what science is saying, then what did the Bible say before that was ever backed up with neural scans? Romans 12, 1 and onward. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. What should pastors be doing if they keep quitting the ministry, if they can't make it to retirement, nine out of 10 can't even make it to retirement, and seven out of 10 are dealing with depression, they need to offer their body as a living sacrifice. What are parts of your body that can cause you to sin, have depression, and these kinds of things? Well, the sexuality of your body can cause you to have sex outside of marriage, to mess with children, okay? Your brain, your, your earthly brain with chemicals can cause you to feel certain ways. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to subdue, crucify, make this body a living sacrifice and its urges for sex and its urges for depression or to be sad. You are to combat that and make your body a living sacrifice, being holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So pastors must learn to worship God, not only just in church, but with their bodies. And then look at what it says here in verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you get that? That word transformed there in the Greek is a verb that is present. It is continually happening in our lives. The present tense verb transformation, metamorpho in the Greek, is happening. The transformation is happening while the mind is being renewed. So what is being transformed by the renewing of the mind? What is the thing being transformed? It's your physical body. You're making your body its slave. It's your spiritual soul, the way you reflect the image of God. All of that is happening when you renew your mind. And literally, renewing means to make something new again. Look at the prefix, re, re before new. I had to be made new first to be made new again. I had to wind the video this way to rewind to go this way. I am not trying to become a Christian every time I renew my mind. I am renewing my mind to be the Christian every time I do that and, and I make my, my body a living sacrifice. So I'm going from glory to glory to glory. I want everybody to see this. You can't renew what wasn't made new already. So it, this is not renewing to become new. This is going to the original pattern in which you were made new. Let me just make, make sense here, maybe a little bit more clear. In Ephesians chapter 10, verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, 
We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You see, that is a past tense. You were created. You were made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, you are a new creation in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So the new creation is here already. The old has already gone. The new is here. So you may say, Pastor, if the new is already here, then why are we continually being made new? Why are we continually being transformed? It's because we are taking off the old and the new in our thinking. So my soul is saved, but my thinking daily needs to be lined up with my soul, my spirit. Do you guys get that? Come on, somebody say amen if you get this. And Benjamin, thank you for uh, confirming that I love pastors. Do you get renewing the mind is coming in alignment with the transformation spiritually that happened within you? You're not continually being born again and again and again. No, what you're doing is you're continually renewing, making new the pattern of your thinking that you were given in your soul when you were made a new creation. Does anybody get this? I want to make sure you get this before I go on because that's how we combat depression. We combat depression by renewing our mind. And I have so many tools to give pastors that are willing to renew their mind and do the right thing for God in his glory. Look at what just Philippians says here, right here. Here's a helpful little slide that I made to encourage people to see their thoughts as something that they have power over, that they decide what to do, okay? Philippians 4, 8 says it like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, okay? Think about such things. So here's how I'm supposed to filter my thoughts. The picture's coming up now. I know it's running a little bit behind, but watch this. I filter my thoughts through this funnel, and then that's how I determine what I think on. And when I think on those things, I'm lining myself up with the soul that's been made new. And whenever I change my thoughts or I cast down my thoughts, I'm renewing that mind to the new self God made me. I hope that makes sense. So here are the things that all pastors and people should think about when they're thinking. So you got to think about what you're thinking. Here's what you should do. Start off at the top. Is what I'm thinking about true? Well, can you think about depressive things? Well, maybe some of them might be true, like sad things like uh, the church is shrinking or people don't like me. But now look at the very next thing as the thought goes from is it true to is it noble? So it may be true. <clears throat> excuse me. It may be true the church is shrinking. People don't like me. <clears throat> excuse me. I feel discouraged. That may be true. But now is it noble to continue thinking about that? No. Is it right to think about that? No. Is it pure? Excuse me, I'm going to ask my wife for some water. <clears throat> so is it true? Well, it may be true, but then is it noble? Most of those things that are depressive aren't going to be noble, are they? Is it right? No, now it gets squashed. You couldn't think about it. Is it pure? You, you couldn't get past that. So think of a funnel. Think of something being filtered. Now watch these last things. Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Man, if it's not those things, and if you've ever seen like a water, water filtration system, those fine mesh metal uh, filters, man, like not even the smallest thing can get through it. When you get to, is it lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy? Thank you, baby boo. You're only left with thinking on the things of God. That's good, isn't it? Come on, somebody. You're only left thinking about the things of God. Let's keep going. Lack of close friendship. 70% of pastors state that they don't have a close friend to confide in with their struggles. I feel that's so opposite. I have so many friends to talk to, so many people. Um, I, I don't feel that at all. These are choices that we make. The Bible says he who shows himself friendly will have friends. Discourage. 50% of ministers would leave the ministry today if they could make a living outside of the church. So think about this. I don't know what kind of church you go to. And if you, uh, you know, have a good pastor, pray for him. If you have a struggling pastor, pray for him. I'm not saying judge your pastor, but I'm just saying, think about this. According to these stats, 
over half of the church or around half of the churches people are going to, they don't even like, the pastors don't even like what they're doing. Is it any wonder we're so powerless? Is it any wonder that so many pastors are just seeking carnal things to satisfy them? They're not, they're not satisfied with preaching the gospel, so they want to start finding women to make out within the church. Uh, they're not satisfied with this, so they start stealing money or, or they start abusing their authority. It's because they're not satisfied with the things of God. The next thing, unhappy family. 80% of pastors' wives wish their husband would have a different job. I have watched this happen so many times with people I have been friends with in the ministry. They are no longer in the ministry because their wife does not want them in the ministry. As simple as that. And 94% of pastors' families feel the negative pressure of being in the ministry. Isn't that so sad? 4,000 new churches start a year, 7,000 closed down. That's why Christianity as a whole is dying in America. 70% of pastors say they have lower self-esteem since being in the ministry than when they first started. That means literally they're getting beat up being in the ministry and they don't know who they are in Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were filtering your thoughts this way, according to God's words in Philippians 4.8, would you have a low self-esteem? How about if you confess these things over your life? I have a confessional chart of the word of God for 120 things, each with scriptures following. I took the time, and I had one of my assistants do it, put together a confessional chart of 120 confessions with scriptures, knowing who you are in Christ. Now, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Can you say these things over your life? and have a low self-esteem? Come on, I am God's child. Jesus atoned for my sins. I am cleansed and purified from all sins. I am born again. I have eternal life. I am accepted in Christ. I am free. I have received God's character. I live in God's love. I have no fear of punishment. I don't live in darkness. I have a sound mind. I love like Jesus. I have the fruit of the spirit. I am called of God. I am called by name by God. That is just 15 of the 120 confessions I have on knowing who you are in Christ. Why is it that so many people suffer with the low self-esteem? It's because they're not in the word. If you keep the word, the word will keep you. Church attendance is down across America because people are having another worldview and we're now losing cultural ground. So let me just stop right here. What do you guys think about those stats and facts that I just gave you right now? Stats and facts about the problems of the ministry. Is this the way it's supposed to be? Do you think, <clears throat> excuse me, what's up, Wayne? Good to see you, baby. Is this the way it's supposed to be? Or are we supposed to, as pastors, set an example to those who follow us? So do I want to put down people who have issues? Not at all. I'm here to help people. But am I going to cover up those issues and say that they're normal, like this was God's intention for the church? Not at all. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy. You see, we have a choice to believe God's word or the word of our unbelief or the words of our fears or the words of our issues that we're having or the words of a deacon. I want you today to pray for your pastor to believe that they will hold to the words of God. Let not the world deceive them. Let not the devil deceive them that they don't have a choice over this. They do. Even, and some people ask me, what about spiritual attack? What about spiritual possession? Is mental illness related to that? Well, it could be, but we don't need it to be to even have this conversation. I don't need to say this is a demon that makes me wear glasses, but could a demon bring blindness? Yes. So how do I know the difference? Well, the Bible says that when I have prayed in the name of Jesus for the spirit to leave, if that spirit doesn't, if, if the illness remains, then the, it's not a spiritual issue. So spirits cannot remain when I pray in Jesus. So Satan, loose my eyes and let them go so that I might see. Okay, no exorcism here. So it's a physical issue, right? Well, even in the mental world, it's the same way. There was a man, a young boy, he was casting himself into the fire by the spirit, and they cast out the spirit, and he didn't do it anymore. But notice this, the young boy wasn't didn't kill himself. Even with the man cutting himself, he didn't jump off the cliff. It wasn't until the spirits were cast out into the pigs 
that the pigs jumped off the cliff. Why do I say it like this? Even demon possession cannot force you to take your life. Otherwise, that would be the devil's greatest strategy, to possess everybody and make them kill themselves. It is still a matter of the will. So we have a choice to make when it comes to our will. Yes, we can open up the door to demonic influence. Satan can attack us, but we're told to stand our ground, right? We're told to stand our ground. So what do we do with the burdens of life? We're told to bring them to Jesus. That is my choice. If I'm being attacked by Satan, it is my choice. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and then we'll go to the promise of Jesus carrying our burdens here in just a moment. But see, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we are to be strong, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So it's our choice to be strong in God. It's our choice to put on the armor. God can't force us to put on the armor, and the devil can't make it make us take it off. Okay? Um, how did the Old Testament prophets deal with their sadness and burdens? Wayne, that's a great question. Old Testament saints dealt with their issues in what we would call imprecatory prayers or their prayers of hurt and brokenness, and they brought them to God. And so some people may ask me, Joe, can we, can, can we in the New Testament be so full of faith that we can't pray the prayers of brokenness of the Psalms? Not at all. We can pray the prayers of the Psalms. Even uh, Paul talked like as if he was in a Psalm when he said, and I got it right here in my book, and I'll just quote it for us real quick. Matter of fact, I'll put it on the screen for all of us, how Paul in, in 2 Corinthians sounded almost exactly um, like a, a psalmist. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Wayne, I'll bring you on if you want to come on, by the way. I will bring you on. Uh, I'll bring you on because you are definitely able to uh, have this conversation. Look at Paul right here. Paul would talk about his sufferings. Like we would say a, a psalm, psalmist would talk about their brokenness in the Old Testament. But look at how he qualifies the things that he went through. And of course, now I lost the passage. 2 Corinthians 11.23. 11.23. Look at what he says here. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been blogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. So he talks about this, right? He says, all of these things are happening to him, but look at what he shows. If I must boast, I'll boast in my weakness. So he's saying, I know in myself, I can't do this. And then he continues on to talk about that he even has a demonic attack. And some people want to put everything on this thorn in the flesh issue. But I believe it was something specific against him. I, my personal opinion is that he was in a constant spiritual battle. So since it doesn't say physical sickness, I'm not going to see it as physical sickness. And since he says it's actually from Satan, I'm going to actually put it in the realm of spiritual warfare. So imagine if you were waking up every day and you literally felt a presence of evil in your room. And you would have to pray against it to sense a breakthrough, to sense the presence of God. That's what I honestly believe he's going through here. And what does Jesus say to him after he's pleaded for that to be taken? He's not saying I am inwardly broken. He's not saying that I'm not at peace with Jesus. What he is saying is I'm asking for the situation to change. Know this. God doesn't always promise to change our situations but he promises to heal us on the inside. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And let me just show you this scripture real quick. And, and then I'll go back to the Jesus carrying our burdens, where it says we're hard pressed on every side. Listen to another time that Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to another time where Paul sounds like an Old Testament psalmist talking about these issues that he's, he's facing, but he's doing it in such a way, and it's in the same book that we've already read, 2 Corinthians, so there's a theme here. He's not going to contradict himself. Notice what he says. We're hard-pressed on every side, but he rebuts it, but we're not crushed. Uh, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. You see, depression is a despairing emotion. You can be perplexed, but not in despair. So I see the Old Testament saints in this same way. Uh, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So he's not beautifully broken. He is saying, this is what, I am, what I'm facing, but this is what I am. So notice this. I am being pressed, but I'm not crushed. 
I'm being perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm being persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm being struck down, but I'm not destroyed. So what would be Paul's confession? His confession would be, I'm not crushed, I'm not in despair, I'm not abandoned, and I'm not destroyed. So that's the terminology we should use. Now, why is this so important? Because look at what he says right here. He says, it is written, therefore, it is written rather, I believed, therefore, I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. So we should have the same spirit of faith speaking over our problems. I hope that answered the issue. I hope that, uh, you know, I just lost some of these quotes right here. If someone wants to show me if I answered Wayne's question, let me know. But that's what I thought was, was good for him to know. In the Old Testament, we call out to God. He answers us. Let me just show you one more in the Old Testament where, where David kind of expresses his heart of problems, but in so much faith and trust in God. I could go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, that's such a promise. And then it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still and quiet waters. Watch this. He restores my soul, right? He, he does this. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, thy comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, he's not letting the, the emotion take over the faith. That's what... Paul was just saying here in Corinthians, I believe, therefore I have spoken. That's why he's saying, I know I'm facing the issues. We're not hyperextending God's promises to where we don't say there's issues. What we're saying is that God is with us there in the issues. There's problems, but he's a problem solver. Okay, let me just read Psalm 34. Don't let me forget about going back to Jesus carrying our burdens, and then I'll take some more questions, and I'll make it personal, okay? I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. So whatever we have heard from David at other times, we're not going to contradict what he said at these times. He may be crying out, God, where are you? Even Jesus cried out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Do we feel that way? Yes, but read the rest of the psalm. I know that you're with me. You're going to crush my enemies. David saying, Lord, I extol you at all times. Your praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. You heard this pastor suffering with anxiety. How many fears will Jesus deliver us from? All of them. What is a great book today if you need help being delivered from your fears? What's a great book? The book called Dare, D-A-R-E, giving helpful ways. It even has an app to take control of the situations that you're having when you face anxiety. These are all things that doctors have told us do not mean you have to commit suicide. Even though you may feel like you're having a panic attack, you do not have to give in to these different fears. You don't have to uh, take what you're facing as the reality. You can fight against it. You can take a stand against what you're feeling. And so I'll show you right here. Uh, I want to show you right here uh, the, the dare response of what he gives us. Let me see if I can go here where he just kind of lays it out here. Uh, the dare response for panic attacks. Okay. Look at what he says we should do. And he quotes all of these doctors. As Dr. Barry said, the rush or flood of adrenaline will not kill you. Depression cannot kill you. You must take the act of the will, and nor can anxiety, no matter how much you feel like, I got to escape, I got to escape. The doctors tell us it will not kill you. In fact, I want you to start thinking of panic attacks as must nothing more than adrenaline floods. And he starts teaching you how to go through it, and he shows you the rational brain and the emotional brain. And then he teaches you how to actually run towards the anxiety. So instead of feeling it and being afraid, run towards it and say, anxiety, do your worst. I dare you to try to take me out because you're showing yourself that this is nothing more than adrenal glands that can't make you do anything. And it says you may shake, you may have all of these issues, 
But this is the kind of stuff we are taught to do even by doctors. And so Christians, we shouldn't take this as, um, as our gospel, but we take it to confirm the gospel. Look at what it says, the DARE response, D-A-R-E to anxiety. Look at it right here. Defuse, allow, run towards, engage. Isn't that just exactly what the Bible says? Cast down, face it, say, I can do it. David ran towards Goliath, engage it, and stand on the word. Stand your ground in the day of spiritual battle. Psalm 34 tells us to do that. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are beautifully broken. No, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. How much shame should a pastor have on their face right now? As we get into what's going on personally in the ministry, and I named some names, and that may be the controversial thing, but as I begin to do that, I want to ask you a question. How many of these people have shame on their face because of the evil, wicked things that they have done? Why do these people have shame? Because of what they have done. It's their fault. The Bible literally says that those who look to the Lord are radiant, and they'll never be covered with shame. So are you covered with shame today? Are you these kind of people? This is shameful. It's because you're not looking into the Lord. This poor man called. See, he's honest. I've gone through problems. I know that I'm poor right now. I don't have what I need. This poor man called to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps those who fear him. He delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in them. Do you guys see how powerful this psalm is? Now, does that confirm with the New Testament teaching? Exactly. What did Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and you and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Do you believe with me today that the yoke of the Lord is easy and his burden is light? Do you believe that no matter what we go through, that we have Jesus to carry the burden, to make it easy, and to make it light? That's what I believe. I'm going to pause right here before I get into the personal uh, situations that I put on Facebook today. I got about 20 minutes left. Uh, look at some of the comments. Sharon, thank you so much. He's always taking care of us. That's right. When we need, what we need to do is give in to Jesus, you said. That's right. We are not crushed. We're not crushed. We're not abandoned. Don't be a statistic. Don't fall for the lies of the enemy. Don't use excuses to live a life less than what God called for you. Let's break the stats and facts. Let's become a new generation of on-fire pastors. Let's be the kind of leaders that God called us to be. As I did in the week before, I'd like to read for you guys out of uh, Lester Sumrall's book, one of my heroes. One of my heroes wrote a book about dying, and it's called Goodbye Planet Earth, The Mystery of Death. Look at what he said. This is what I want my testimony to be. My life has been good. I had a precious life of 49 years. I have no regrets. God has always been with me. When I say goodbye, it's nice knowing you. It's the truth. I've had a good time here. I'm ready to go to heaven and have even a better time. I will not leave with any regrets or disappointments. You see, I want to be like my heroes of faith. I want to be like John Wesley. I want to be like William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army. I want to be like Lester Sumrall. Pastors, we need to look up to these men of God who finished their races. Stop being distracted by these people who are ending their journey in shame. Now, some people may agree that this is shameful and what these people have done is shameful, but they may not agree with the way I present the facts. They may say, you know what, pastor, this is being mean. This is not being kind. My friend, I want to ask you a question. How many lives do we have to lose before we wake up and start saying this is not about us playing sensitivity games with people around us? We need to stand up and spare the flock. So I'm going to get personal here in just a moment, but I'm waiting to see if there's any questions. I want to see this because I want you guys to know this is not normal Christianity. This is not normal. This is not the way that we should be living. Christianity is not meant to be lived like this. Will we have struggles? Will we have issues? Absolutely. 
But how are we supposed to take on those struggles? We're supposed to take them on as David did, as the psalmist did, as the word of God taught us to. Amen? Okay, any questions before I move on here? Okay, let me read this scripture, and then I'll get into my blog for today. Last 20 minutes, and we'll try to stay with an hour. Looking to see if anybody wants to get on. Nobody can. Okay. Let's look at what Jeremiah chapter 23 said. Now, those of you who know me, you've heard me say that God has given me a prophecy through my mother in Jeremiah 23 before I was even saved. So understand this. I was a high school dropout and backslider. By the time I was uh, 18, I was arrested about six, uh, about eight times. I was uh, living on my own, kicked out of my house. I, I was on drugs. I wanted to be put into a mental hospital. And Jesus Christ saved me and transformed me. When I got saved, my mother told me, I was praying these kinds of scriptures for you. One of them is the passage I'll read you now in Jeremiah 23. So I've talked to you about how to help pastors, how to love pastors, how to encourage them, the books, the information, the scriptures, right? Does everybody see that? I know right now my chat box, for whatever reason, is not working, but I hope that you see that. I see Pastor Terry saying too many want to go on feelings instead of facts. Amen. We got to go by the word of God, not just our feelings, okay? But now what do we do with the ones who don't do those things? They don't take care of the flock. They, they get into sin. And despair is a sin, my friends. Uh, choosing to be depressed and living out in fear is a sin. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear, right? And I've showed you there's responses we make to depression. There's responses we make to anxiety. And we do it through Romans 12, the renewing of our mind, becoming new in our thinking like our soul is new. How much more simpler could it be? It's our choice, right? Well, what happens when they don't? Look at what Jeremiah was dealing with, with these false prophets, these people who had the wrong word and were doing the people wrong. It says, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. My friends, what do you think happens when these people do their actions to the sheep? I have it listed out on my blog. I'm not going to read it all. But what do you think happens? What do you think happens when Bill Hybels, in the church of 20,000 plus members, Willow Creek, victimizes women for over 20 years. What do you think that does to the flock? What do you think it does to the flock when a cardinal himself abuses people and then covers up a thousand perverted acts? What do you think it does to God's people who are dealing with LGBT issues when this mega pastor, mega church pastor of 3,500 is gay, married to his gay lover, and still speaks in tongues, has people fall out on the spirit, is excited to preach, and yet he's affirming the lifestyle that God said in Romans is a curse and will damn your soul to hell. And lastly, which seems to get everybody's attention, which I have no idea why, other than they're so disconnected from the Bible and the church history, the, the historic position on this, but what happens to somebody who kills himself and doesn't provide for their family? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith. He's worse than an infidel. In, the, in, the, in prior times, suicide was a sin, and they wouldn't give you a Christian burial, and they would hang your body up in the town square to say, never do this. You have left your family to suffer and die in the winter now. And it didn't matter if you were dealing with issues. It was your choice to take your life. So the Bible says the cowardly, unbelieving go to hell. What do you think this does in a church where all of these young people are depressed, and they see their pastor committed suicide, and now there's a vigil. My friend, that scatters the flock. That makes them think there's no power in the gospel. And so when you go back to this, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my sheep. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, can any of these pastors say that they truly cared for their flock? No, not the one touching women, not the one touching boys, not the one affirming sin, and not the one in his own depression destroying his own life. None of them could shepherd the flock, right? And so the Bible says, because you have done this, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. He says, I'm going to punish you for those things. And then it says, I will gather the sheep. That's what's happening right now. Sheep are gathering. I've had people leave my page, and I've had twice as many join my page. I'm telling you, I'm getting two to three uh, friend requests uh, every couple of hours now because people are realizing there's good pastors that aren't afraid to speak the truth. 
I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I've gathered them and driven them and will bring them to their pastures where they will be fruitful and increase in number. Now watch this. I will place over them shepherds that will tend to them and they'll no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will there be any missing. How many people right now do you think are terrified in churches like Willow Creek? where the pastor was touching them and hurting them. They probably, it's going to be so hard for them to trust the pastor again. What about the Roman Catholics? Now we know we should protest them, right? But, but now they can't even trust these people to do something good in their life. They have to look at all of them cynical. What about this man with the gay homosexual agenda? If he hasn't told them about the truth of sin in the Bible, can they trust him to tell them about the sin in their lives? And then the person who has fallen prey to, to sin and depression and low self-worth, can he help anybody be free? Of course not. Now, some of you say, Pastor, we're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to judge. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians we're supposed to judge. Of course we are. A lot of people say, judge not lest you be judged. My friends, that's in the context of making judgments based on the Jewish traditions and then placing them upon people. I don't have any extra biblical tradition. The teachings I'm saying that are right and wrong are the judgments of God. I am not judging you. I'm telling you what the judge himself said. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says we're supposed to make judgments in the church. Look at what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 and onward. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I can't go around the world and kick out the bad ones in politics and kick out the corrupt businessman. I can't do that in the world. Are you not to judge those inside? See, but I can have a say in what goes on in the church, can I? God will judge those outside. Let God deal with Donald Trump. We'll do our best, but let God ultimately deal with Hillary Clinton and so forth. Let God deal with those who are on the outside, but expel the wicked person among you. So many of you I see that are dealing with my issues here on uh, uh, getting upset and having issues with what I'm writing. I'm wondering, has your church ever even expelled a wicked person from among them? I don't see how they could if everybody, if everybody's a sinner. If that's the way you look at it, no one's supposed to be holy. How in the world would you ever expel somebody? The Bible says here in verse 11, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler, do not even eat with such people. So because we have lost our holiness, because we don't do things the way God wants us to, now the shepherds have gone astray and they're hurting the people. We need to go back to the things of God. And now here is what the Bible says will happen. He says these prophets, they lie. They tell the people false things. The pro both the prophet and priest are godless. Back to Jeremiah 23. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness. Do you know that this pastor tried to commit a suicide in the temple? Let's go back to this. Every single one of these people are doing their wickedness in the temple. Uh, Bill Hybels would touch people on ministry trips. He would uh, give them uh, dirty looks. He would present dirty things to them as their pastor in the role of teaching and preaching. This priest in the role of being a priest, this gay and lesbian couple, this gay couple in the role of being in the church as leaders. They're doing their disgust. They're kissing each other. They're affirming the lesbian, uh, the gay lifestyle. And this man first tried to kill himself in the church. You see, it says both the prophet and priest are godless, even in my temple. They don't have any fear of God. Even on a ministry trip, Bill Hybels is getting wine with one of the people in a hotel room. He doesn't care, and he's trying, he kisses her. He doesn't care. It says, even in my temple, I find their wickedness. And on the stage, Bill Hybels lied and said he didn't do any of those things. And now we turned out, we found out that he wasn't the victim of false accusation, that it was all true. And now the elders of Elder, uh, Willow Creek have resigned. The two former pastors have resigned as well. It's a mess. Now, what does the Bible say? Therefore, their path will become slippery. Okay, their path will become slippery. These people, these false prophets and priests, their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness, and there they will fall. So where do people go in their sin, even if they're a priest or a prophet? This is where they go. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished. He continues on. And just so you guys can know, what is the word that God gave me through my mom many years ago? 
Here it is. Here it is. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. My mother had this before me before I was even saved. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. So what is my job as a watchman, also according to Ezekiel chapter 3? I'm to make sure we stand as watchmen against this. And if these men are still alive, I pray that they repent. But what does the Bible say in 1 Timothy 5.20? Them that sin rebuke before all that the others may fear. It's our job to do that so that the church will be protected. I'm not doing this because I hate pastors. I just showed you at the beginning of the, of the video here that I want to see pastors be healed. I don't want to see those things anymore. I've given you the answers, haven't I? The renewal of the mind, the thought patterns we should have, how to fight depression by giving up guilt, by giving up anger, going in, uh, against anxiety through the DARE method. What more can I do? I have showed my love. I am here. I am a pastor of pastors. I am a friend of pastors. I help answer my friend towards the Old Testament. Even when they were in despair, they still cried out to God and God answered them. Even Paul, when he was going through things, he didn't let despair set in. He fought spiritual battles. He said he wouldn't let despair come in on him. So they would fight against their despair. That's the spiritual battle. So now am I just picking on people? No, I'm not trying to just throw out red meat to judgmental Christians that hate people. I'm a loving person. Every person here knows that I love people and we go after the lost and we help the hurting. But I'm here to warn you that shepherds like this are in the church. And the Bible says that this would happen in the last days. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3 and onward, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. I'm giving you sound doctrine on sexual sin, on homosexual sin, on pedophilia sin, on suicide sin. I'm giving you the sound doctrine on renewal of the mind, thoughts that are pleasing to God, correct? I'm giving that to you, but these are the ways that it's not being given to you. And pray that I can continue to do it, right? Others can continue to do it. So they're not preaching sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, their own desires. People will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. What myths was Billow Creek, Willow, Billow Creek, Willow Creek teaching? Bill was teaching that you could live however you want and be saved. He was teaching a seeker-sensitive model instead of a Holy, sense, a Holy Spirit-sensitive model. And many drew into that. He even had Bill Clinton be a special guest in his leadership summit. Is it any wonder he acted like Bill Clinton? Birds of like feathers flock together. These Roman Catholics teach myth. They have no authority. They're not priests. They cannot, they can't resolve your sin. You're not supposed to go into a dark closet and, and confess your secrets to them. What have they done to you in those dark closets? Leave the whore of Babylon. The Bible calls the Roman church. The whore of Babylon, she's a false bride. She is not the true bride. She's teaching you myths of purgatory and prayer of saints and so forth. And then you look at this person, the, the lie of homosexuality, the myth that God loves transgender behavior. God loves homosexual behavior. God loves homosexual transgenders, but he loves them too much to let them stay that way. God came to give us new life. And so don't believe the myth that God doesn't change you, transform you. And then the myth of this man, that mental illness equals suicide, and that taking your own life deserves a vigil, and that being a pastor is so hard, there's no way out except to take your life. Those are all myths. Don't believe those myths. Now, somebody might say, what about grace? Thank you, Sharon. What about grace? What does grace do? Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Grace teaches us to say no to sin. God's grace not only saves us, but God's grace transforms us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. So it's your choice to receive grace. But did you know that grace then teaches you something? In Titus chapter 2, verse 12, Titus chapter 2, verse 12, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So notice here, salvation is an offer. 
It's an offer to all of these people here right now. All of these people, and I put it in my post. Um, I put it in my post, uh, Sharon. You can check it out. So I'm not just saying it now. I put it in my post that I pray they repent of their sins, those who are still alive before they face God and judgment and hear these frightful words, which I'm going to end with in just a moment. But what does grace do? Grace appeared and it offered salvation to all. So do you want it or not? It's up to them now if they want it. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. All of this behavior we've been talking about is ungodly and worldly passions. And what does it teach us? To live self-controlled lives. When someone says, my life's out of control, I don't have a choice. The doctors of depression and anxiety say, that's a lie. You do have a choice. I had a person testify here, Gigi here, said, even though my grandfather had schizophrenia, he never thought of suicide. Don't believe this lie that you are out of control, even with the mental illness. Mental illness does not equal suicide. And just because you feel you're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, all these other things are trying to say are diseases, which is funny, they won't say homosexuality or transgenderism is a disease. But anyway, uh, homosexuality and, and lesbianism, all these things, they all wanna put as natural, as natural. The Bible says, don't live according to that. Deny worldly passage and do what? Live self-controlled lives, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave us who gave himself for us to redeem us from how much wickedness all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are eager that are his own that are eager to do what is good what does it say then these then are the things you should teach encourage Am I encouraging today? I want to know that I encourage. Somebody say encourage, that I know that I've encouraged you. And rebuke with all authority. Don't let anybody despise you. Thank you for having me say what about grace, Sharon. Thank you. If I'm encouraging, you put the word encourage. If you know that I'm rebuking, put the word rebuke. If you want to put them together, let me know. Have I encouraged and rebuked? Have I taught you what grace is saying to the world? It's offering salvation to all of these men right here. The one that has already passed, he's faced his judgment. I believe he's in hell for that behavior because the Bible says the cowardly, the unbelieving, the murders, their place is in the lake of fire. But these last three men, can they repent? Can their, this man's lover repent? Of course, they can all repent and be born again. Lest they hear these terrifying words from Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I don't want to hear that, my friends. Also, the Bible says they claim to know God, don't they? They, the Bible says they claim to know God. They profess to know him, but in their works, they deny him. They're abominable. They're disobedient unto every good work, reprobate. That means none of their good works will count. Even the Bible says clearly in Ezekiel chapter three, that if the wicked, if the righteous man turns from his righteous ways, Ezekiel chapter three is very clear that if a righteous man turns from his wicked ways, his right, uh, if a righteous man turns from his righteous ways and does wicked things, his righteousness will be remembered no more. Ezekiel 3.20, again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. I don't want to be held accountable for the blood of any of these pastors. I want to make sure I preach the word to them. Amen. I see that you guys are saying encourage and rebuke. Any questions? I think I've done pretty good with keeping up with it. I'm going to put right here questions just to mark it in the chat box. Does anybody have any questions or did any visitors show up that would disagree with something like this? Because I like what Terry has noticed in our chat boxes and some of you have noticed as well. It's something how many keyboard warriors there are out there. How many people want to say we're doing this wrong, and yet when I do a live feed, they don't want to come on and discuss it? I mean, I'm the one that would look stupid, right? Like, I, it's my platform. I'm inviting you to speak to my 3,000 friends. Of course, there's not many watching that right now. But, you know, you have the platform here. 
and yet they don't want to do it. And yet they act like we're afraid to be confronted that we're somehow judgmental in a way that we, we're just going to say our thing and not hear anybody else's opinion. I'll hear your opinion right now. I'll listen to it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I'm right now ready and ready to go. <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't know it. And I know some people don't understand how much we're full of joy. Do you know that John Wesley was full of joy? Charles Finney was full of joy. William Booth was full of joy. Uh, Charles Parham, or not Charles, William Durham was full of joy. Our Pentecostal foundation is a, is a faith of joy, my friends. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I love serving Jesus. Being a pastor is fun. We get to whoop the devil. And yeah, it's hard sometimes, but guess what? I got a burden carrier. I got a Jesus that follows me everywhere I go, never leaves me or forsakes me. I never have to suffer in silence. He carries every one of my burdens. And so whenever I'm hard pressed, I'm never crushed. Whenever I feel abandoned, I'm, uh, whenever I feel I'm uh, persecuted, I'm never abandoned. Whenever I'm struck down, I'm never destroyed. Even though my body's wasting away day by day, I'm being renewed. I'm about ready to ride my bike, celebrate my baby's second birthday, and keep having a good time for Jesus, for preaching the gospel. It's up to you what y'all want to do. Come on, somebody. Any other questions? God bless you in the house today. A few more moments. Please share if you care. Get somebody here to answer some ask some questions. I don't want to bore you guys, but I will be rolling out if there's nothing else. Love you. Thank you so much. I hope you had a great time on this webcast. As always, you can find us on our app at Metro Praise International at any app store. You can download these messages. You can also get them from our podcast at Metro Praise International on iTunes. You can listen to the double speed, which is what I'll be doing on my bike to see how many mistakes I made with scriptures, which is really fun. Uh, when I'm like, oh, why did I say that? Didn't mean that verse. And that verse wasn't there. Uh, the other day I was talking about suicide and I'm like, I'm like Saul and David committed suicide. It was Saul and Judas, two of the suicide people in the Bible lo looked at as cursed and demonically influenced, but I put David on blast. Lord, forgive me. Uh, that's why the Bible says those who teach are going to be held to a stricter standard. So I'll make sure to listen to this message and see if I misquoted anything or maybe didn't say it right. But I think you guys get the point. And that's why I always ask for clarifying time, clarifying questions, anything because I want to make sure I'm covering these issues. I love pastors. I'm encouraging. I'm also rebuking. I'm going to do that till Jesus comes back. Pray for me as I pray for you. As a matter of fact, let's just pray for the pastors now. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up all of those who are serving you in ministry right now. Would you encourage them? Would you pour out your spirit upon them? Would they feel your, your power within them right now? Those who may be going through these emotional struggles and issues that we read about, that so many do, Lord, would you encourage them, give them the wisdom through the word to renew the mind, to think upon the things that are pleasing to you, and to use good science, good health techniques to rid themselves of depression and anxiety, fight the good fight of faith. And Lord, those who are in sin, we love them. We pray for Bill. We pray for this cardinal. We pray for this gay bishop. We pray, Lord, that you will save them, change their hearts from the inside out. May they repent of their wickedness publicly and ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, we pray for all of those who have been affected by suicide, that they will know that even though this is a wicked act, it wasn't their fault. And that, Lord, you can give them strength to live holy lives. Let them not repeat the sin of cowardice they've seen in others. May they live bold, passionate lives in Jesus' name. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you soon. Have a wonderful day.